I have in my heart to actually present to you a few warnings from the Bible. These warnings, though I say, um, there's about five texts. Four of them are from the New Testament, one from uh, the Old. Uh, it, it, even though they are warnings, and, and by nature, when we hear of warning, we immediately feel uh, an anger or, or, or some negative thing. But this is never God's intention. When he gives us a warning, it always comes to us from a place of, of pleading for us to see him for who he really is. Because the alternative to that is so awful. Let me just jump. I'm going to be jumping a little bit around, and I'm, I'm sure you'll just catch up. Because God is so perfect in his goodness, because God is so, like there is just infinite in the, uh, the amount of love, if I can use the word amount, of, 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 of peace, of everything that makes up who he is, because he is so perfect, perfect there is no place that's allowed that can be less than that that is ex acceptable to exist if if i can put it in that way if he wasn't perfect then imperfection would be tolerated but because he is perfect infinitely perfect Anything less than that is pure insult to someone like that. Now, everything that is, um, that is not quite up to God's standard carries with it also um, a, a, a sentiment, an emotion. Right? Especially like for us humans, I'm talking about for us. These verses that I wanted to share with you, each carries with it something that the Lord wants to pinpoint. And, and, and we all carry it, but not, it, not so that the Lord would condemn us for it, but to open our eyes to see Him for who He really is. Not to expose and to shame what we are unconsciously carrying. If, if that makes sense. Let, let's say if uh, one of the verses I'm going to read to you is from Matthew chapter 12. This is, this is where uh, uh, they confront Jesus about, you know, you're casting out demons by the, by the power of, the, of, uh, of, of Beelzebub and that. And then he says something really astonishing. It's actually a, a revealing into the world of the spirit world. This is what I cal uh, uh, categorize as being stuck halfway. Okay, and it's a warning, okay? Being stuck halfway. This is the verse. Matthew chapter 12, verse 43 and 45. It says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. 
and the last state of the man is worse than the first. So it shall be with this wicked generation. It's like, <gasps> whoa. <laughs> this is an astonishing verse from the Bible. What does it actually mean and how does it apply to us? Does it apply to us? Well, everything in the Bible should be a lesson if not anything else. But more than a lesson, it should point us to Jesus in his character. Because that's where the glory is. What's he saying here, Jesus? Um, he's saying that our lives potentially can become a mess. And he likens it, and I can actually use this example as well. Imagine that you are living in, a, in an apartment, but sharing the apartment with a really, really messy person who absolutely does not care at all about you. Wherever they go, they just leave a mess, they destroy things, they just, just like an awful, awful housemate. And there's nothing you can do to get rid of them. In fact, they actually encroach into your space, your bedroom, and, and you come home and you see that, that your toothbrush has been used. Or, or this has been, you know, like destroyed. Like something that you, you, can, you can imagine, right? And there's nothing you can do to get rid of him. And it just becomes a real sour point in your life. Very often, we actually experience things like this in our lives. We feel that there are, there are messes, messy aspects to our lives we just don't know what to do with. We just keep coming back and it's still there. It's there and it, it seems to be growing in, in its scope so we go to the Lord and we say Lord I need help here or we talk to somebody and they somehow through through intervention or calling the police or whatever that person is cleared out you go oh what a relief and you put the place in order you repair the things that are broken you sweep and you mop and everything is clean you replace the things that that, that were used, you throw out what you don't want, you buy new things, and now it's beautiful and swept clean. And then one day, this person that you kicked out comes and peeks through the window and sees, wow, what a nice place this has become. I think I'll move back in. But not just me, I'll go and grab some of my friends and we'll come back and move in together. And, and he does, and this place becomes an absolute disaster now, worse than before. What was missing in this example, maybe not a perfect example, but what was missing was to have a new housemate move in. So that empty place is now occupied with the right person. Not just left empty, but filled with the right person. And this is the warning that Jesus gives. He goes, I will put your life into order because you ask me. But there's two things you need to ask. Not just one. Not just, Lord, put my life into order. And the second, the more important thing is, yes, Lord, put my life into order. But come and move in. And this is where we stop short. We ask the Lord to have our lives put into order, but we stop short of having him actually move in, take over, be the manager, be the one that fills every space, including my own, so that when the enemy peeks in, he has no place to come, 
because there's no room for him anymore. This is what this warning is all about. And what do we see here? Is again the character, the beautiful character of Jesus that says, invite me in. Invite me to live with you. I will put your life into order because I am a, one, a, a God of peace. I am a God. I will fill your life with joy. I will be faithful to you without end. I will be gentle in my dealings with you. I will be good to you even though you may not feel you deserve it. I will be good to you. I will never lose my temper with you. I will fill your life with all of my goodness. Allow me to move in. So the warning is real when he says, do not be stuck halfway. You have asked me to put your life into order, and I have. As much as you have allowed me, I have put it into order. There are probably areas that you haven't allowed me to touch. Maybe there's this closet over here that's still filled and packed with things that, that need to be gotten rid of. Thank you. Things that need to be gotten rid of. But I'm here for you. Do not be stuck halfway. If you feel there's, there's any area right now in your life that you feel that you have not, one, asked the Lord to put into order, and more importantly, to actually move in, I want us to just pause right now, before going on to the other ones, I want us to just pause and ask the Lord to deal with that. Would you do that with me? Let's bow our heads. Lord, you are the solution. You are the Lord of the universe. How can I not have allowed you to be Lord of my simple life? Lord, I've asked you to put certain things in order in my life. But I regret that I've not asked you to put all things into order. And more than that, Lord, I have not asked you to move in. Lord, I repent of that right now. And ask you to move in. Lord, would you do that? Would you move in and completely take over my life? I give you all aspects of my life. My thoughts, my heart, everything, Lord. And I give you permission to rearrange the furniture. I give you permission to toss out the furniture that doesn't belong. I give you permission to, to redecorate my life according to your liking. And Lord, I want anyone that looks into this place that I live, my heart, I want them to see that it is fully occupied by you and no one else. In Jesus' name I ask. Mark this day, November 19. If you prayed this prayer, your life will be different from this moment forward. It will be different from this moment forward. Ready for number two? <clears throat>
This comes to us from Matthew chapter 25, verses 24 to 26. This, this is what I categorize as lazy. All right, the first one was stuck halfway. The second one is lazy. And again, please, these words are negative words, but hear the heart of the Lord in his pleading invitation for you to move in to a better place with him, okay? All right. This is the story of, uh, of the parable of, of where, where um, Jesus speaks of giving talents, uh, of a king that, that gives talents to his servants and it goes into a far country, expecting them to, to trade these talents and to gain more, right? So he gives to one five, he gives one two, and he gives to the one one. And so this one trades with the five and he gains five more, two, two more, and the one though he goes and buries that talent and then so when the lord comes back the um the, the the servants come back and say lord the five talents you gave me have gained five more uh the lord is really happy he says you know well done good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your lord you've been faithful and little i will make you ruler over much right so he gets to the one and this is what it says. It says, Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord was angry and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Then he goes on to say, you should have at least put it with the bankers that I would have gotten interest. In Luke, the same thing, he says, I will judge you from the words of your own mouth. So the question here, I didn't want to focus on the five talents, what does that mean to go and trade and all of those things. I wanted to focus on this one. Why does the Lord call him lazy? And why does he actually judge him in this way? And this is where we get sometimes stuck in this, in this thinking. That we don't realize that there is an element of laziness in our approach to the Lord. And that's just not lazy, you know what, oh, I'm too tired, I don't feel like doing it. It's a laziness that has to do with a particular characteristic of God that we are seeing. That in that, it's, it's a misrepresentation of God, by the way, but, but that characteristic that we're seeing causes us to be discouraged to do anything, to apply ourselves, because there's something that we think that He is, where He isn't, we think that, well, what's the point? I mean, I'm gonna do all of this thing and, and it's not gonna go well anyway. And so, I'm, you know what, I'm, I'm not even gonna bother. Let me at least not lose what he's given me. I'll go and take care of it, make sure that it's safe. And when he comes, I'll give it to him because, you know, he's a hard man. Reaping where he doesn't sow and gathering where he hasn't scattered seed. And so when his master says that you have misjudged me, you have not considered me correctly. And that's why he calls him lazy, but he also goes on and calls him wicked. Because you allowed a character of God to rest and settle in your heart that is not correct. 
That's why his invitation is not to just you wicked, lazy servants. No, no, you misjudged me. You didn't realize that when I gave you the five talents or the two, I gave you everything that you need to succeed. I gave you myself. I gave you my heart. I gave you the ability to take risks, to be joyful, to be peace, to be at peace, to, to not be afraid, to be courageous, to go and conquer, to all of these things. And you thought, what's the point? Because you look around and you see all of these, these troubles around you and you think that God is the cause of these things. So go, what's the point? I'm just going to hold on to this in the hope that when Jesus returns, I will have at least not lost what I have. Star Trek mentality. Beam me up. I'm ready to be rescued. I'm done with this. I'm just wanting to hold on to what I have. Just going to hang on to this. Because if I just do anything with it, I'll lose even this. Not realizing that the kingdom that we are anxiously waiting for, not anxiously, but eagerly waiting for, actually has poured its power onto us here so that we live the reality of the kingdom, its kingdom of constant increase, of his government. And of peace, there will be no end. The increase, there will constantly be increase. This is his heart. This is who God is. When he touches something because he is alive, it grows. You, you bury one, look, he's put it into all of creation. You bury an acorn, you end up with 10,000. Get the return on investment. Sorry, it's not, it's not just... 5%, 10% here. It's thousands of percentage. This is his return on investment on what he has given to us. And so when we sort of settle back and say, you know what? He's a hard man. His expectations of me are harsh. I don't know if I can do it. So I'll just hang on to it. You have judged him incorrectly. And so his pleading with you today is this that says look I am giving you everything to help you succeed take the risk take the risk what's the worst that can happen that you die well guess what I'm going to be on the other side to catch you I will catch you and I will bring you back in resurrection power don't be afraid spend don't be stingy. Be generous. Spend. Spend for the kingdom. Spend your heart. Have you been hurt in relationships? That's okay. Get up. Do it again. Spend your heart. Allow him to give you that, to energize you with his character. Endless love. Endless peace. Endless joy. Faithful in the face of the worst treachery. That's our God. So if you have been there, if this convicts you, I want us to pause right here and just take a moment and confess and repent and ask the Lord to fill our hearts again 
with the joy of that first day when we realize that, oh, wow, all of heaven has been opened to me when I received Jesus. And if you want to receive Jesus today in this way, boy, he's ready to pour out on you because he paid for it dearly with the blood of his son. So Lord, if I have misjudged you, I am sorry. If I have characterized you with harshness and, and, and being hard, Lord, I am sorry. Thank you that I'm hearing these words on this side of the judgment seat, that now there's still time for grace and mercy to be poured out on me. Lord, I pray now that you turn me around and make me like that one that had the five talents in the two. Lord, I am digging up my talent that you have given me and I am going to risk it so that I will gain in your name. In your name I pray. Amen. November 19, mark it on your calendar because if you prayed that prayer, your life is going to be different from this moment forward. Number three, complacent. This comes to us from a very interesting verse in the book of Zephaniah. It's in the Old Testament. It's three books back from the end. Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 12. It says, And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in complacency on their dregs. And I'll explain what that means in a second. Who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. Let me read it again. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in complacency in their dregs. Who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. Who knows what, a, what dregs are? Show of hands. Yeah, because you know your wine. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a quality in, in, in wine that is not filtered. It's these sed sediments that settle in wine at the bottom. And sometimes when you pick up a bottle that's been sitting there, you, you shake it up, you see these things float up. These are the dregs, right? It's very interesting that it shows up in wine. And it's called here complacency. Right? Yeah. Why here? And this is the complacency that allows us to feel like we've got it all together in the midst of the wine. Now, I'm, the, the, the appreciate the, the picture that the Lord is giving. But he's saying that you are dregs. If you are complacent, then you are actually not the wine. You are what's swimming in the wine and thinking you are wine. But you are not wine. You are the dregs. Not that you are dregs in, in real, but this is the behavior. This is where we can settle to actually behave in that way. Not be the life-giving quality of the wine, but feel as though we are because we're swimming in it. You, you get the picture. 
And this is a warning to not do that because the lamp of the Lord shines and says, look, I want you to be the wine. Not these things that settle at the bottom, that do nothing, that when the wine is actually consumed, this thing is thrown out. Or if it's filtered, it's filtered out and thrown out. I don't have much to say about that other than, Lord, allow the Holy Spirit to now move in our hearts to convict where the dregs have settled and cause us to rise up, Lord, and to be the wine instead of the dregs. Lord, if you are going to shine your light, shine your light on me now. And cause me to be that wine. You know why, what wine represents, right? I mean, it represents the blood. It, it represents um, uh, when, when Jesus at the Last Supper, he had the Last Supper, it was bread and wine, right? And the wine represents the shed blood of Jesus that actually brings life. And he says in the Old Testament, the life of the animal that, in the, that was being sacrificed, the life of the animal is in the blood. The life is in the blood. So when we are actually in the wine, we are representing that which is circulating through the body and bringing life. Bringing life. Dregs do not give life. They just exist. And they're thrown out at the end. But the wine actually is circulating. It's the life that is in each of us. It's the Holy Spirit. Our own spirit intermingled with the Holy Spirit as we fellowship. We bring life. We bring life. And that's what God is, God is moving in our hearts to encourage us to circulate. Be life. Touch everywhere. Let my love, the infinite, let my love come through you. Just a quick pause. Jesus says you will know them by their fruits, right? You will know what? Basically, we, we recognize a tree by its fruit, right? There are many trees that sim look similar, but then when you see its fruit, you go, oh, oh, this is an apple tree. Oh, this is a pear tree, right? Like, things like that. Same thing. We want to demonstrate who Jesus is by demonstrating his character. So if I receive love and I give love, I'm not just showing myself off. I'm showing him off. If in the midst of a storm, I'm able to maintain peace, I'm not showing off my peace. I'm showing off His. And so in circulating through the body and demonstrating the, the love, the joy, the peace, the, the long-suffering, the, the kindness, the goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, the, the, all of these things, we're actually showing off His character. We are representing His glory which is in you, which has been given to you. You are no longer short of that glory. You were before Jesus died for you and brought you into his glory. Now you are full of his glory, his character. Cannot remain a dreg, a dreg, or dregs. Can't. So if that convicts you 
in that you haven't been engaged with the body of Christ, the church, whether the local assembly or the larger body of Christ. You have thought, I'm good. I'm in the Lord. I don't need to touch these lives. Chances are very good that you have settled into being just dregs. And the Lord's pleading to pull you into the wine so that we can be health to the body of Christ. If that convicts you, then I would ask you to just pause right now. Let's just go before the Lord. Lord, I repent for pulling back from the body. I repent for pulling back and not giving of myself to nourish and to rejuvenate the body. And I regret, Lord, that I have in my heart allowed myself to settle into this thing called the dregs. But I ask your mercy and your grace to be poured upon me right now and to revive me, Lord, and to bring me into the flow of the Holy Spirit, the blood, the wine that is circulating powerfully in the body of Christ, Lord, so that not only I may receive from my brothers and sisters, but I may also give back and to, and to re revive them, revitalize them, rejuvenate them, nourish them with what you have given me. In Jesus' name I ask. Mark it on your calendar if you prayed this prayer. Your life will not be the same from this day forward. Number four. I characterize, characterize this one, and I had to actually look up this word, um, captious. Who knows what that word means? I didn't know until yesterday, so don't feel bad. Who knows what the word captious means? <laughs> it simply means critical and ill-tempered. Critical. It's constantly. Everything that you see is that going? No, critical. It's almost like a politics thing. You know, when you're the opposite of the ruling party, everything they, they do is, is a point of criticism. And, and we kind of settle into that too. Because of all the stuff that we see, we just settle into this critical posture. That no matter what they do, I criticize. It's no good. Because of this, no good, no good, no good, no good. That's what captious means. That's not ill-tempered. And this is actually characterized by Jesus in Luke chapter 7, verse 32. It says, they are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not weep. He's actually talking about John the Baptist, just the verses before this verse. He talks about John the Baptist. He goes, John the Baptist came, he didn't eat, he didn't drink, and you said he has a demon. The son of man came, eating and drinking, you go, oh look, a glutton. And a fr friend of sinners. So no matter what, you're going to criticize. And that's what sometimes happens to us. What is it that we embrace because of our experiences? 
that we become critical of everything that we see. Nothing happens that is good. And that mostly has to do with us concluding the matter because of our experience. I experienced this, therefore it's true. This is my experience. The word of God comes and challenges, and you say, nope, I've seen different. Therefore, this is what I'm going to believe. And so the challenge of the word of God comes again and again. But each time we are, because we have taken a critical posture, no, 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 everything becomes wrong. And in the mix, even Jesus becomes wrong. Because then at that point, then we no longer have cohesion. It doesn't stick to us who he is and what I've experienced. I've just become this lull thing, this just thing that just is surviving. Everything in, in, that I'm seeing around me doesn't really make sense. But I've gotten used to not making sense anymore. Jesus certainly doesn't make sense. And what I'm reading in the Bible... Oh, it was good for that time. But it's certainly not happening today. And so our experience becomes the Bible for us. And it lands in the negative. I've become a critical person. Nothing you say, nothing you do actually lands on me. Because I know different. So whether Jesus comes in this way, you go, eh. Or he comes in a different way, eh comes through this person, whether you, you, let's say you hear a word spoken by this preacher that you're not very fond of. Right? Just, or listen to this person, not too fond of him. So, and not realizing that God is actually now deliberately visiting you through the very things that you hold disdain for. He packages it intentionally. So, so not, to, not to leave you there, but to begin to show you that you don't belong there. This isn't who you are. I have called you into much more. Because when you're of that state, you actually fit in, feed into the lazy uh, before. Is that, you know, you're just too cynical to do anything. It's just not going to work. What's the point? Just, just bury it. That's not going to work. That's not going to This is too risky. That's too risky. That's too risky. And the whole joy of walking with a God that is, that is all about risk. You open up Joshua chapter 1. Just read how many times he says to Joshua, be courageous. Don't be afraid. Be courageous. Be very courageous. Be courageous. Go. I'm with you. Be courageous. Be courageous. Hey, you can't have courage if everything is negative. Because what's the point? And we get stuck in this. And Jesus speaks to this, not for the sake of, again, shame, but to show you who He is in His joy, in His love. Do you know why God is faithful? Because He has faith. How is it that God has faith? It's like he, he is the very definition of faith. He has faith in you. 
in you, in you. That's why He's faithful to you, because He has faith in you. He's joyful with your life. He's, he's at peace with what you're doing and what you've done. He's at peace. He's in a good mood. He loves being with you. He wants you to rise up from the dregs and come and be filled with His joy and risk what He's given you. Put aside the negativity. Put it aside. It doesn't belong to you. It's not who you are. Be filled with joy on what He has done and what He has done in you and He is about to do through you. So if you are convicted today with being ill-tempered and critical, if you're convicted, just pause with me right here and let's give it to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I repent. Change my mind. Open my eyes to what's open over me from heaven. Open my eyes to see you for who you are. And I want to see, Lord, I want to see your smiling face. That you are just positive about everything. And let it wash away my negativity. Let it wash, let it wash away my ill-temperedness. I ask in Jesus' name. Mark it on your calendar. If you prayed this prayer today, your life will be different from this moment forward. Count on it. Last one. Lukewarm. Don't like this one. It's found in Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Speaking to one of the seven churches in Revelation, and he says this, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot, so that because you are lukewarm, I will, and, and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Whew. <laughs> Don't want that. What makes us lukewarm? It's a very simple answer actually that Jesus gives when he gave the parable of the, of the four soils. The sower went out to sow seed, some fell on hard ground, some fell on stony ground, some fell among the weeds and some on good ground. The lukewarm is the weeds. And he characterizes that, says, love for other things. And this is what causes us to be lukewarm towards the Lord. is because our eyes are filled. And especially in a place like this where, where abundance is so abundant. Right? Um, and, and we strive for things as God gives them to us. He is generous and He gives and He blesses us. And in, in that is a, is a whole transactional movement of He gives and we give away. He gives and we give away. 
The more you give away, the more it leaves room for him to give. Whether it's, um, it's intangible characteristics, like love, joy, peace, or it's actually monetary things or things that we have in this world. The more you give away, the more you receive. And what, you re- 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 what is remaining with you is always fresh. It's like, imagine a stagnant pond that eventually starts to stink, or a, a, a pipe that has water constantly moving through it, which is always fresh. Right? So as we let this thing move through us, we remain fresh. We remain fresh. This lukewarmness is, is especially troubling in my mind, because it's so uh, um, sinister. It's, it's so, uh, what do you call it? It comes in with, with such stealth. We don't see it. And then all of a sudden it's there, and it's been there for a long time. We don't realize lukewarmness is, is like, even in real life, imagine if I have a, a cup of very, very hot water, you leave it there, eventually it, it loses, right? It's, it's just the, the law of thermodynamics, it loses heat. So eventually, if you don't put work into it, it loses heat. It becomes wor- lukewarm. So we take an example from physics in that in anything you want to maintain at a temperature higher than the environment, you have to put work into it. Whether external heat or whether actual work, it becomes hot, right? If you want your hands to be hot, like what do you do? You rub it together and the friction causes your hands to heat up. It's basic physics. But it's also spiritual physics. Anything that you don't touch for a while, you cannot count on that being hot again. If you don't touch it in a very short period of time, it's lukewarm. So search in your hearts. And ask the Lord to search your hearts. To see what aspects of what he has given you has not been touched for a while. Has not been attended to for a while. It's just been sitting there and seeping heat. If it's intended to be cold, even the cold, anything less than the current environment even to make it colder than the current environment, you have to put work into it, like ACs, right? Air conditioning. You have to put work into it. That heat is dispelled somewhere else so that this becomes cold. But I'll tell you that engineering aspect of it another day. Maybe not. Um, But anything that is left on its own for a while will become lukewarm. And that's the warning. That's the warning. What treasures has the Lord given to you that you haven't attended to for a while? And Jesus is saying to you today, dig it up. Dig it up. Was there a prophecy that was spoken over you about who you are and what he has put into your heart? Dig it up. Resurrect it. Lord, if I've buried something, I'm going to raise it up. So if that, I mean, some of these things apply to you, some don't, some applies to other people. I know that if the Lord wanted to speak about this today, and it's not something that I chose on my own, I have to say. I feel that the Lord's hand is in it. So let's not ignore it. One of these five, 
or more touched you, I know. So if it was this last one, if you have forgotten something that was placed in your heart, placed in your care, let's go before the Lord right now and ask Him to call it to remembrance and to bring it up. Maybe sitting in an old trunk in the hidden corner of your heart. Lord, I have hidden this treasure away, what you spoke to me. When you were excited, when you gave me this gift, your eyes were on fire when you gave it to me, Lord. And for some reason, I just let it sit there and get lukewarm. Lord, you spoke over me with such joy. You spoke over me with such excitement, Lord. And I remember that day where you were so excited to give me this gift. That, Lord, I've been neglecting it. I've not known what to do with it. It was too risky to bring out. It was too much effort, I thought. Because I tried to do things on my own instead of letting you energize me with it. So Lord, I'm sorry. And I repent for having let it get lukewarm. In Jesus' name, I bring it to you. I lay it at your feet. Lord, would you pick it up and gift it to me again with the same excitement that you gave me before so that I will pick it up now and run with it with the same excitement that you gave, to, gave you, you had when you gave it to me, Lord, let me be filled with the same excitement for having received it. Oh, Jesus, thank you for being in such a good mood, for having such joy over me in my life. Lord, I owe you everything, yeah. everything. Now I'll close with this. First Thessalonians 5, verse 6 says, Let us not sleep as others do, but let us be awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, listen carefully, since we belong to the day, don't consider the days that we're living in darkness. You are living in the day where the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the age to come is powerfully moving among the church. But you, beloved, are not in darkness. You are children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then let us not sleep, fall asleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober and put on the breastplate of faith and of love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has destined us not for wrath. Remember what I said in the beginning, God is not angry with you. He has not destined us for wrath, 
but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or sleep, we may live in him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up each other, as indeed you are doing. So, well done. You're doing well. God is really pleased with you. You are doing really, really well. And these warnings are your shield to make sure that you are sober, you are awake, that it doesn't sneak up on you. Right? So let's stand and, and pray together. And and we'll pray and, and we'll close it here. So I hope you prayed each time, the five prayers, you prayed with me. So we don't need to do much more right here because you've already done the work. So I just want to bless you. Lift up your hands and say, Lord, I receive from your good, gracious hand everything, Lord, to the full measure of what you intend to give to me because it is your good pleasure, Lord. I will not be presumptuous and pretend humility, Lord, in not receiving from your hand what you intend to give to me in its fullness. I receive it. Lord, because I want to bring honor and glory to your name where it belongs. In Jesus' name. Amen.